We're going to be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. These are the words of God. pray. Father, uh, what a great song that we just sang. Great reminder that, um, that every um, person that has ever lived is in need of you. Uh, that all of humanity is in need of a Savior. And uh, Lord, as we, we couldn't save ourselves, we could never be good enough, never do enough good deeds, never fast enough, never pray enough to earn favor with you. But God, we praise you this morning and we praise you always that, that you desired to reconcile us to yourself, to put us back into a right relationship with yourself. And I thank you for the, the, the cost that was paid. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you willingly uh, took the form of a servant. You humbled yourself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And, Lord, we, we say thank you. We praise you. We worship you because of who we are in Christ. And, God, we also recognize and acknowledge this morning that... Um, as sons and daughters, we are in constant need of your sustaining grace. And I thank you, Lord, that our, um, that our calling card, um, our identity is, um, is in Christ because of the great exchange that Jesus took all of our sin. For our sake, Lord Jesus, you became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What amazing, amazing news. And God, I pray that through um, the proclamation of the word as we've been singing the word, I pray through the proclamation of the word that we continue to make much of you. Um, and Lord, I'm a, I'm a beggar in need of your grace this morning as, as I was last night and yesterday and the day before. God, I uh, want to operate in full dependence upon you. And Lord, I pray that... Um, that you'd be honored and glorified. I pray that the saints here this morning would be edified by your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that my words would not um, bring any harm, my words from my flesh. And I pray, God, for anybody here this morning, uh, Father, you only you know um, our hearts, only you know the condition of our heart. And I pray, Lord, if there's some or anyone that uh, is not regenerate, um, they have yet to be made new. Uh, they're still trying to earn their salvation. God, I pray that this would be the day. This would be the day that um, 
by the power of your spirit, by your drawing, they put their full faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus for the remission of their sin. And they too would be able to call you Father. We love you and commit this service to you. And God's people said, Amen. Good morning. Good to be here this morning. If you're new with us, um, there's a few new faces that I haven't met before. If you're new with us, welcome. Um, my name is Dan, Dan Hardy. I'm one of the pastors here. I serve alongside Pastor Chris and Pastor John Keppinger and uh, Pastor Pat. And one of the things I want to say up front that is uh, obvious, should be obvious, doesn't matter what church you're in, doesn't matter um, um, who is um, opening the word, um, it's obvious to those of you that know me, uh, but what should be obvious is that um, I'm a fellow sojourner, that, um, that I, um, like you, um, have been um, perfected by faith in Jesus Christ, that the Father sees me through my union with Christ as he sees you through your union with, your union with Christ, but I am very much imperfect in the way that um, I live my life, um, as you are as well. So I just want to be reminded that I'm not uh, speaking um, down to you in any way. I'm speaking, I'm preaching, proclaiming to myself, actually, as much as I am preaching, proclaiming to you. I'm in need of grace this morning. I'm in need of grace every day. And, um, and his grace is there. Um, and we're going to talk about one of um, God's means for grace, his means, his, one of the ways that he uh, distributes um, sustaining grace to us. And it's actually the discipline of fasting. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that more. But um, as we were, um, as there, there's four sermons um, on prayer. This is a four-week sermon series called When You Pray. Not if you pray or, or after you learn how to pray, but it's called When You Pray. And this is the fourth in a series of four sermons. I got to uh, deliver the first one. Pat did the last two. And this one is on fasting. And um, we, like, um, we were even making bets on the fight last night to see who had to do this sermon today on fasting. And um, fasting is one of those um, uh, subjects that is just a yawner for most of us. And I want to tell you that it shouldn't be. Um, I would tell you that um, most pastors I know, um, with me included, most Christians I know um, have thought very little about fasting, that it's really for um, the Old Testament. It's really for people that um, maybe are super spiritual. But I'm here to tell you that, that uh, Jesus' words that we're going to look at today that, we just, that Jolene just read, uh, my prayer is that you would be encouraged to fast, um, not manipulated, not guilted, but that you would be compelled uh, by the love of Christ, um, by uh, the good news that we can call the Almighty God, Father, Daddy, that that would motivate you to want to fast. Um, have you ever dieted? Um, I've dieted. Um, I've, had, I've done diets before. I didn't want to call them diets, but I've like cut out certain foods. Um, I've had um, um, tried to live a, a healthier lifestyle, tried to look different, um, and I've, I've done that at times, and it's, um, and it's, it's, it's hard, but it usually has some kind of results. Um, have you ever involuntarily, when you, when you diet or you give up something consciously, it's voluntary, but have you ever involuntarily fasted or dieted? What I mean by that is that some of us, um, if you've been sick, maybe you've had cancer, um, that you've, you've had to give up certain um, creature comforts. You've had to give up certain foods. And it's really an involuntary fasting. We went to Nigeria. I've been to Nigeria three times. And it's very much an involuntary fast. I mean, all the creature comforts, all the food that I enjoy is not there. Like three days into a two-week trip, I'm so sick of pounded yam that I want a burger. 
And, and the question that I would have for you this morning, that when you fast, whether it be voluntarily or involuntarily, remember the last time that happened. Just think through that for a minute. Think through the last time that you fasted from food, voluntarily or involuntarily. When you had to, like, give up something that you really like, it's a good gift from the Lord, and you had to give it up. You don't have to blurt it out. That'd be embarrassing. What? was the condition of your heart? What did it feel like? What, what was exposed in your heart during that time of fast, either voluntarily or, un, or, or involuntary? The, the problem for me, and, I, and, and hopefully this is a thread throughout the entire sermon today, is that we have a good father who gives good gifts. But the challenge, I think, for most of us, I know it is for me, is that I find ultimate, more ultimate satisfaction in what God gives me rather than who he is. I mean I, can, I mean, I don't have to admit that to you, but if you were to observe my life, I think you would find that. I think you would, I think you would find that out, that, that I oftentimes have, have more, um, find more ultimate satisfaction in the gifts than I do in the Father. It's kind of a slow fade. As I've um, got to know Christians over the years, I got to uh, look at my look at my own heart. There's there's times in my walk, in my relationship with the Father, where I feel more closer to Him than others. There's there's just times, right? There's there's times where we feel like He's more distant. He's not. He's he's as near, the, God's word says He's as near as your breath. But there's times where it feels that way. Right? And I'm going to actually use the word feel experience a few times because, because the reality of salvation is not a feeling. It's not an experience. But we are human beings, and we experience that relationship. We can, we can experience it, and, and I think it's a, I think it's a, a good thing. Um, for some of you, the last time that you experienced intimacy with the Lord might have been like right after you were saved. When you experienced the grace of God for that first time, when you were, you were working, working, working your way to, to heaven, and then when you first understood the grace of God, that, wow, there's nothing I can do to save myself, that it was all of God's grace, that might have been the last time that you really had a deep and intimate relationship with the Father. For some of you, it might have been a trial. You've had a, you've had a hard trial. It's been cancer. It's been the loss of a loved one. It's been a, it's been a hard marriage. It's been a, a wayward child. It's been a, a tough pregnancy. It's maybe even been a miscarriage. And in that tough time, um, you, were, you felt the nearness of God, like Job did. You felt the nearness of God. My hope is that, that, that today we would we together would get a better understanding of the discipline, the spiritual discipline of fasting and how that can fuel our relationship with the Lord, how that can really um, cause us to hunger and thirst for God like that first day we were saved. And for some of us, it's been a, it's been a slow fade for us over the years. So, so the question to ask this morning is, what is fasting and why should I fast? What is fasting and why should I fast? In the, the 14 verses that we've been teaching over the last four weeks, chapter 6, verses 5 through 18, Jesus used the phrase, your father, seven times. 
in our Father once. Now, Jesus, I talked about this uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whenever I was up here. Jesus has the right to call God the Father, does he not? He has a right. He is, he is uh, the second person in the, in the triune Godhead. By, by nature, he is son and can call the Father, Father. By, by contrast, you and I are creatures. We're, we're creations. By, by what right, then, do we have to call God the Father? And I would say this, it's only those who look to Jesus Christ as mediator and sin bearer and go to God the Father through Christ have a right to call on God as sons and daughters. So eight times in these 14 verses, we're reminded that God is our Father, and the implications of this reality that God is our Father are far-reaching for all of us that call God Father, or we're called children. Through Christ, he adopted us so we could experience not just the forgiveness of sins. Don't miss this, because oftentimes um, in, um, in evangelism or sharing our faith, we, we want somebody to pray the prayer so that they know they're forgiven. It's important to be forgiven. But God didn't just save us to forgive us of our sins. He forgave us. He saved us so we'd be forgiven, so we'd be reconciled. You see, in the garden, we were cast out. Every, all of humanity was cast out. We were enemies. We were going the other direction. And now we can call the Father, Father. It's through Christ that the Father adopted us so that we could experience not just the forgiveness of our sins, but a close and intimate relationship with God, who we no longer dread as stern judge, but revere as reconciled and loving Father. In verses 5, 6, and 8, Jesus addresses disciples three times with the phrase, when you pray. Remember that? Not if you pray, but when you pray. And the implications of this phrase are obvious. Prayer is something that is expected and is part of a disciple's life. In the same way today, Jesus exhorts his followers two times. He says, when you fast, not if you fast, not when you get time to fast, not when you learn to fast. He says, when you fast. And in your hearts, not out loud, I want, I want you to raise your hands. Don't raise your hands, but in your heart, um, how many of you have fasted? How many Christians have fasted? You just raised your hand. The second half. <laughs> In the last year. And what you're missing, what I'm missing by not fasting more often, is not more love from the Father, not a greater standing in His kingdom, but what I'm missing by not fasting is a deeper and more intimate relationship with the Father who called us into a relationship with Him. So what is biblical fasting? Biblical, biblical fasting is abstaining, simply abstaining from food, drink, sleep, sex, or anything, any other good gift to encounter a deeper relationship with the Father. Specifically, we, we humbly deny a good gift. This is important. Fasting is denying a good gift. It's not denying um, what's evil. That's called obedience. Fasting is denying a good gift. In order to, and there's got to be a reason for it, in order to draw near to the Father. And the issue is not just food per se. The issue is anything and, and really everything that is, that is or can be a substitute for God. And I don't know about you, but the, the things that I substitute for God are, are the good gifts. Uh, it's my wife, my kids, uh, my role, calling as a pastor. 
actually. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, fasting, if we conceive of it truly, must not be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. He goes on to say, there are many bodily functions which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, but which for special reasons in certain circumstances should be controlled. That is fasting, he says. You see, over the, over the years, the church has misused the good gift of fasting. And they've, and they've made it into a, like self-punishing rituals. Often some will try to make following God a, a, like a, a, a dour, painful thing of self-affliction. God doesn't call us to self-affliction. Jesus was afflicted so that we would not be afflicted. Um, in pre-Reformation Germany, for example, there were as many as 161 days a year where, where pious Christians were expected to either fast or abstain from certain foods. The Roman Catholic Church, which I grew up in, I think every Friday, actually, still, they give up um, meat um, and eat fish during Lent. And the crazy thing is they eat, like, fried fish. That's, like, deep fried in some kind of oil that'll kill you. So you say, I died fasting, but I'm going to go to heaven faster, Right? If you would turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, actually, let me pull a fast one on you. Go forward to the right from chapter 6 to chapter 9, and we're going to uh, take a closer look at fasting. This is probably the most descriptive New Testament verse that uh, describes fasting and the purpose, and, and also warnings. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, the disciples of John the Baptist, they come to Jesus, and they ask Jesus, why are your disciples not fasting? Why are your disciples? So, so evidently, Jesus' disciples were not fasting while he was with them. So my question is, if Jesus' disciples weren't fasting, and I'm a disciple of Jesus, why do I have to fast? It's a good question, isn't it? Let me read this, 14 through 17, chapter 9. Then the disciples of John came to him, came to Jesus, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will, and then they will fast. And I would encourage you, if you're able to write in your Bibles, to actually circle or underline, then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unstruck cloth on an old garment, for the, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. Jesus answers with, the, with, a, he answers with a brilliant word picture. When, when John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and says, Why do your disciples not fast? He says, The wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? So with these words, Jesus teaches us two things here. One is, is that fasting was and, by, was and by large associated with mourning in that day. That's what fasting was for. It was, it was about mourning. Um, the law required a fast annually on the Day of Atonement, what we call Yom Kippur. And they would actually, the, the high priest would go behind the veil, um, sacrifice the unblemished lamb, and um, pray for the forgiveness of sins. And at the same time, the people would afflict themselves. They would, they would fast once a year to somehow um, relate with the afflicted um, and slaughtered lamb. 
Their hope was that the, the sacrifice and the mourning, and their mourning would affect the forgiveness of their sins. But that's not the situation with Jesus' disciples. The second thing he teaches here is that the Messiah has come, and his coming is like the coming of a bridegroom at a wedding feast. So Jesus was making a tremendous claim for himself here. In the Old Testament, God had pictured himself as, um, as a husband of his people Israel. Now his son, the Messiah, the long hope for one, has come, and his claims to be the bridegroom, that is the husband of his people, who will be the true Israel. God, the one who betrothed Israel to himself in covenant love, has come. This is good news. This is good news for you and I. This doesn't require a fast but a celebration. The Messiah has come. Before Jesus came on the scene, fasting was for times of yearning and aching and longing. But the bridegroom of Israel is here. And after a thousand years of dreaming and longing and hoping and waiting, he was here. And the absence of fasting in, by his followers was a witness to the presence of God in their midst. But then Jesus said this, what I just asked you to circle. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. This is the key sentence. Then they will fast. When is he referring to? When Jesus is no longer with us. When Jesus was no, when he, uh, when he died, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. So we don't have to fast anymore. That answers that one. That's not true. You see, New Testament fasting, this fasting on, on the side of the cross is for a longing to one day be with the Father and to experience right now, today, increasing intimacy and communion with Him. Jesus goes on to explain with a couple of very odd yet crucial statements in verses 16 and 17. He says this. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is a new wine put into an old wine skin. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. These are two brilliant pictures, actually. Um, I don't sew. And I haven't done much laundry, I hate to say. Um, after 37 years of marriage, I've been begging Nancy to teach me, but she just doesn't take the time. <laughs> so it's not my fault, it's her fault. Uh, but I do do the dishes sometimes. Um, and, I, and I'll help out wherever she wants. But it would be a, a disaster to, uh, to do that. So here's, here's what I know, though, is that he says, he talks about putting in a, a new patch on an old garment, right? Let's think about this. Um, how many of you have like a T-shirt drawer, like that favorite T-shirt that you've had for 20 years, that if you just wash it, it's going to fall apart? Right? So what he's saying is if you take that T-shirt, you take that garment that's been washed and dried, washed and dried, it's shrunk, and it has a hole in it, and you put a new patch on it, and then you wash it, and it dries, guess what happens? That patch shrinks, and it actually makes the hole bigger. It's the same thing with putting new wine in an old wineskin. New wine is fermented wine. It, and you put new wine into a wineskin, it does what? It expands. So you put new wine in an old wineskin, and the wineskin will explode. So the question is this. What does the old garment and the old wineskin signify? You and me. 
our old selves, with, with all of our garbage and our issues and our sin and our mistakes and our hurts. It's a garment of regret and sorrow and guilt. And what is the unshrunk cloth that's put on it or the new wine that's poured in it? It's a new covenant. It's a new identity with new desires motivated by the Father's love and our standing and his, as his precious sons and daughters. It's fasting to experience a greater intimacy with the Father, not to be forgiven and loved more by the Father. You see, in salvation, Christ didn't patch up your old life. He didn't patch it up. He gives you a new life. He didn't patch up your tattered robe, but clothes you in a new and perfect robe. His robe of righteousness, not a patch to cover up our sin and blemishes, but to make us new so that the old is gone. He doesn't say he will patch up this area and that. He says, I will make you new. That's good news. You see, when we come before the Father one day, um, at, when, when this world is being renewed, we come before him in Christ's righteous robes. We can stand there confidently because of our union with Christ. We don't go up there limping because we've been patched up and repaired. We've been made new. We've been made new, and that is amazing, that is amazing news. Jesus came to introduce something new, not to patch up something old. This is what salvation is all about. And in doing this, Jesus didn't destroy the old. He didn't destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. That's why fasting is still relevant for us today. There's nothing salvific in it. It doesn't cause, us, doesn't cause God to love us anymore. But it's a discipline that he's given us to bring him glory and for our good. It's like an acorn. An acorn is fulfilled when it grows into an oak tree. There's a sense that when the acorn is gone, but its, but its, but its purpose is fulfilled in greatness. New wine and new wineskins demands what? New fasting. It doesn't mean that fasting is gone. It's new fasting. The kingdom of God is not merely a patch over the Mosaic law and Jewish traditions. Jesus brings in a new era with new ways, including a new purpose for fasting. This, this new fasting is based on the mystery that the bridegroom has come. Not just will come, but he has come. And the great central decisive act of salvation for us today is in the past. It's not in the future. We've got a great hope in the future. Great hope in the future. But the decisive act of salvation was on the cross of Jesus Christ. And on the basis of that past work of the bridegroom, nothing could ever be the same. The Lamb of God is slain. The punishment of sins is executed. Death is defeated. The bridegroom is risen. The Spirit is sent. The wine is new. You are new. The old fasting mindset is, not, is simply not adequate. It's been fulfilled. Fasting this side of the cross is motivated by what has already been accomplished and a desire to glorify the one who accomplished it all. So today's passage, Jesus gives us both a negative and a positive example of fasting. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. First, a negative, verse 16, chapter 6. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What was the heart of these Jewish hypocrites? What was their reward? What is being condemned here is their heart motive. That's what Jesus always condemns. As always, one's internal motives is what is, that's Jesus' central concern. These Jewish hypocrites are motivated to fast so that it would be seen and thus esteemed by others. In fact, that was a reward, the praise of men. And 
Sometimes I go to Christian TV just because I can't get like a funny movie on Amazon pulled up, so I just go to that. And I will see, um, and some of, them are, some of them are okay, by the way, but I, I would, I can give you some podcasts to listen to so you don't get yourself sick on that junk food. But I've gone there sometimes, I've looked, and, um, and there's some like haggard guy in a three-piece suit with a tie wrapped around his neck wrong with a comb over, and saying, I've been fasting for 36 days for you out there. Now, here's 1-800-GIVE-ME-MONEY. You see, fasting is not done to be seen. Fasting is to be done in secret for the benefit of a greater intimacy with the Father. And I've been, I've been really convicted, actually, by, by this whole section, encouraged and convicted. It's, it's okay to be convicted, by the way. Um, if you're ever condemned, that's not okay. That's from, that's from the enemy. But God wants you to be convicted by his word, by spirit. And he wants you to be encouraged. But I've been, I've been convicted and encouraged. And, and he talks about these hypocrites that want to be seen. And there's times where I, I've got to fight this every week. Every single week that I get up here and preach. Because I, 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 I want to be seen in my flesh. Actually, this is confession. I want to be seen in a certain way. Um, I want to like, um, like walk out of here like, like lines with people like high-fiving me on the way out. Instead, I had somebody come in here who knows me real well, a man, by the way, that's, that like pinched me on the rear end on the way in. That's just, that's what I get. We can do that. That's like a love. That's like a holy kiss. He's happily married to a woman. It's all good. But I, I have this, uh, this desire. He, the hypocrites back in, in verses uh, 4 through 8, and the hypocrites today in today's passage, are he calls them hypocrites because they want to be seen. They want to be esteemed by others. And that's our flesh. At the end of the day, I want to do my work. And I want to exercise spiritual disciplines to draw nearer to the Father, not because of anything I can get from humanity. Not that anybody would say, wow, look at him. The Jewish hypocrites here were motivated to fast so they would be seen and esteemed by others. In fact, that's their reward. They were esteemed by others. That's their reward. Oftentimes, they actually, actually, in these days, they whiten their faces. They put ashes on their head. They wore shoddy clothing. They refused, refused to wash. They looked like as forlorn as they possibly could. They believed that you could not be spiritual unless you were uncomfortable. Do you believe that? They thought spirituality makes you do things that you do not want to do, and it keeps you from enjoying the good gifts that God has given you. Can I just tell you right now that God has given you good gifts in the way of, uh, for some of you, husbands and wives, kids, grandkids, um, fights that start at 10 o'clock at night, um, fishing and hunting. Um, some of you ladies are saints because some of your husbands not only watch the fight, but they headed out hunting at 5 a.m., and you should get a reward. But God wants us to be happy, actually, in Jesus. You know the song? It's okay. But, but he wants our happiness to be rooted in him, ultimately. But he gives us good gifts to enjoy. And these, um, these hypocrites wanted to put forth a face that, that they were just serious about their faith. And to be serious about your faith, somehow you've got to have like a scrunched up face and look like you're not enjoying anything. 
So there's two dangers here that comes in verse 16 that these fasting folks have fallen into. One is that they're seeking the wrong reward in fasting, namely the esteem of others. Two is, is, is that they hide this with a pretense of love for God. Fasting means love for God. Fasting is hungering for God. So with their actions, they're saying that they have a heart for God, a hunger for God, a love for God. But on the inside, the only reason they're doing it is that they're desperate to be admired and esteemed by other people. Here's another question I ask. Is Jesus prohibiting a public fast here? If we're not to be seen when we fast, is he prohibiting a public fast? At Windsor Community Church, twice a year, historically, we've done a corporate fast. This is actually, next weekend is actually one of the the weekends we do it. We decided not to do it this year. Um, Does it prohibit a corporate fast? If we're we're supposed to do it in private, and and I would say the answer to that is no. Being seen fasting and fasting to be seen are not the same thing. Being seen fasting and fasting to be seen are not the same thing. It's all about the heart. We can do it. I can know if you're fasting. You can know if I'm fasting. I mean, we might even bring encouragement to one another. But the question is, is are we telling each other so one another can know that we're fasting? It's a heart issue. Another and greater danger that I wanted to bring up here in exercising any spiritual discipline and having a motivation to be seen. I've heard this before. I've heard dads say, for example, I just need to be a better example to my kids. I've heard employers say I need to be a better example to my employees. At the, at the service level, that doesn't sound too bad, actually. But at the end of the day, our motivation should be to, to live in joyful obedience to the Lord. As Romans 12, 1 says that our, we should be a living sacrifice. That's our worship. Not because we earn anything, but because we already possess everything. I hope you never get tired of hearing that. That your motivation to, to live a joyful, obedient life should not be to gain anything, but because you already possess everything. Now, if you live that kind of life that you're just wanting to honor and glorify the Lord in everything you do, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. If that's your motivation, guess who's going to be a good example? Your motivation should never be to be a good example. Because the hypocrites do that. The Mormons do that. Atheists do that. Everybody does that. But, but we want to be, as, as Paul says when, when asked, what compels you to do all the crazy things you do, Paul? It's the love of God that compels me. It's the love of God that motivates me. And the more that I marinate in um, who Christ is, what Christ did for me, who the Father is, and the fact that I'm called son, that I've been adopted, I'm going to want to live that kind of life. And I'm going to be an example. So I want to just give you a caution, moms and dads, with young kids especially. Yes, be an example. That should not be your motivation, though. Your motivation should be to be sons of the God Most High and enjoy that relationship and live in the context of that relationship and watch it catch fire in your kids and in your wife and your coworkers. Verse 17, the positive. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, 
that your fa- fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who sees in secret. The main reason for fasting, actually there, there's two reasons for fasting I'm going to lay out. There's, there's a bunch more, but I'm going to give you two primary reasons just because this is just one sermon and we've got limited time. The first is, is to reveal what's in your heart. Reveal what's in your heart. The second is, is to receive a reward. Let's look at the first first, the first one uh, ahead of time. The, the one before that's first before the second, that's, okay. First is to see what's in our heart. It's a test to see what desires control us. What controls you? What controls you? Richard Foster, who wrote The Disciplines of, of what's it called? Anybody know that book? Spiritual disciplines, thank you. Richard Foster wrote that, and he says this, more than any other spiritual discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Fasting reveals food's mastery over us. It reveals television's mastery over us, computer's mastery over us. It reveals sports mastery over us. Um, Whatever we submit to again and again to conceal the weakness of our hunger for God, that's what fasting does. I was just, I know I've confessed this before, but I'm I'm a slow student, and that is that yesterday, Yesterday, if you like sports and, and you got a little bit of ADD like me, man, it's like you got you got CSU playing, you got the Rockies playing, you got the fight starting, you've got um, the Colorado Rapids going, you've got the Broncos playing, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, like Matthew, okay, fasting, be disciplined, have no idols, and like, oh my goodness, um, Rockies are down four to two. It's like I didn't even know what to do with myself, but I, but what. The conviction that's come to me is not that those are bad things. I enjoy those things. I love those things, actually. But, but they actually, sometimes when I wake up thinking about them, wondering if the Rockies are 10 games out or 11 games out, um, wondering um, what my workout is at 4.30, wondering what we're going to have for dinner, um, it might be that my affections are in the wrong place. So the first thing that fasting does is it helps us understand what controls us to see what's in our heart. Fasting is a way of revealing to ourselves and confessing to our God what is in our heart. Uh, where, where do we find our deepest satisfaction, in God or his gifts? And the aim of fasting is that we come to rely less on food and other gifts and, give, and more on God and the giver of all gifts. Uh, Piper says this. I want to just tell you right up front, even though we're at the back end, that a lot of this was motivated by uh, Piper's book, um, Hungering for God the disciplines of prayer and fasting. We just went over as a leadership team, and it's a book that has profoundly um, impacted me. And John Piper is a man that puts his pants on one leg at a time like me, um, very imperfect man like me, uh, but I got a couple quotes from him. He says this. He says, he says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. And he goes on to say, the greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. And then finally, Piper said this, desires for other things, that's the enemy. That's actually where the enemy works, is giving us an increasing desire for God's gifts that would supplant him as our greatest desire. 
And the only weapon that will triumph is a deeper hunger for God. The weakness of our hunger for God is not because he is unsavory, because he doesn't taste good, but because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. So the first reason for fasting is to reveal what's in our heart. The second is to actually receive a reward. I want rewards. The Bible provides a number of reasons for fasting, but the main reason we fast is what I just mentioned, and then secondly, our reward. And our reward for fasting is the same as our reward for prayer. It's ironically but wonderfully a deeper hunger and satisfaction in the Father. You see, fasting can give you a a greater appetite, a larger appetite for God. And this is why the Puritans who often fasted called it soul fattening. Soul fattening. I don't know about you, but I want a fatter soul. As we close this off, prayer and fasting are often mentioned together. I've been to a lot of, uh, or I've heard of a lot of prayer conferences. We've had prayer nights here. Um, But why don't we fast? I'm not talking food alone. Fasting and prayer are often linked together in God's word. And when we talk about fasting, we too often talk about food. However, the purpose of fasting is to take our eyes off the good gifts of this world and deepen our relationship with the giver of good gifts. And even though fasting in Scripture is almost always from food, other than 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about fasting from sex, actually. There are other ways to better focus on God, and that can be considered a fast. Last growing up, Catholic, you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes the, the pendulum swings, you know, like I'm all the way over here, and I find out that that's not good, then I swing all the way over here, and I'm missing some good stuff in the middle. So we've never really, like, uh, gave things up for Lent, and my wife and I decided to do that this last year, actually. I'm telling you, after the fact. And the reason I do that is, is that, um, is what I experienced. I don't know if I'll do it again, actually, um, but we gave up, uh, whoopee-doo, we gave up Facebook. That was a biggie. And we gave up TV. And we watch, you know, we watch sports and stuff like that. And what we, what we agreed to do is not to just give it up for the sake of giving it up. And we talked about if we're going to give up TV, what are we going to replace it with? And we decided to replace it with is just time in the Word, uh, time together, um, sharpening each other in the Word. The, and then the, the other one was, was Facebook. And we did, or it, was, it was the opposite, actually. Facebook was for time in the Word. And TV was to be more hospitable, that we just wanted to have more people in our house. So I want to encourage you that that fasting... Because both of those things were wrestling for my affections, actually, TV and Facebook. Um, and I would say that if you're checking Facebook more than three, four times a day, um, you're guilty as charged. Oh, that hurt. Fasting should be limited to a set time, a set period of time, and it's not intended to punish you. It's not intended to punish your flesh or to gain any standing in the family of God, but it deepens our relationship with the Father and it stirs up a hunger for Him. Do you long for the good old days? Are you in a place today where you're, I, I just, I wish my relationship with God was like it used to be? He hasn't changed. His word hasn't changed. 
That's the purpose of fasting. You may not be able to fast from food, but you can give something up in order to deepen your relationship with the Father. We're going to go into communion. And what we're going to partake in is, um, is evidence of new wine and new wine skins. That if you, if you uh, I would encourage you that if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus for the remission of your sins, that the, that the table is for those who have. Um, we're glad you're here, whoever you might be. We're glad you're here. Um, we want you to be here. But this is, this is reserved for um, those who have actually tasted and seen that God is good. And as you, uh, um, as you get prepared to come up here, I, just, I just wrote a few of these things down that encouraged my heart. That your salvation has made you new. It has not patched you up. It's given you a new life, not new rules. It gives peace, not anxiety. You were given new life assurance, not just hell insurance. Jesus became our righteousness, not our stumbling block. He came to give you abundant life, not a weary life. He came to bring everlasting joy, not temporal happiness. He came to give you rest, not to require your works. And today you can stand on his, his finished work, not on your works. And finally, he came to forgive you all of your sins, yesterday's, today's, and tomorrow's. Not just the small sins, but all your sins. So when you come to the table, it's, it's remembering Jesus' finished work on the cross. And the forgiveness of your sins and the right that you have as a result of that to call God the Father, Father. We're going to do something different. Um, come up and just take the elements at your, at your convenience. And we're going to be singing, actually, while you take the elements. So just uh, enjoy the song. Uh, sing along. Be silent, however the Lord leads you.